0: Okay, if you've got a Bible, we're in Psalm chapter 23. Psalm chapter 23. If you do not have a Bible, then please take the Bible that's in the chair back before you. Psalm 23 is in the middle of the Bible, almost literally right in the middle. It's on page 293.
1: Mike is going to come and read for us God's Word. Scripture text for today's reading
0: is Psalm 23, 1 through 4. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, take these words, we pray, and use them to change our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Over the next four weeks, we're going to do a very short, month-long series on what biblical leadership is. And we're doing this for a very, very practical reason. That is that our church, two years out of the gate, is coming to the point where we're ready to elect our own elders and deacons. We're ready to elect our own leaders from within the congregation. So there's a very practical reason to think about biblical leadership. There's also a very spiritual reason to think about biblical leadership. It's because you and I long to follow somebody or something. And we do. We follow someone or something, no matter if we are conscious of it or not. And it's important that we as a people, are you with me, understand what it is that we follow. We understand under whose authority we are. Some of us don't like to be under anybody's authority, but you are always under somebody's authority, whether it's TMZ or Entertainment Tonight, or it's the elders of your church, or it's the, you're under authority. In fact, one of the ways that Satan trips you up in the spiritual life is by helping you follow everything with a siren and everything that shines. There's a a passage in Screwtape Letters, the old book by C.S. Lewis, that says, you know, Screwtape Letters is a book written from an experienced demon to a younger demon who's learning how to trip Christians up and Uncle Wormwood writes the screw tape his nephew and he says screw tape if you can get these guys to follow any trend if you can get them to follow any temporary pleasure it will make your life and your battle half as hard the this point was People live manipulating and very manipulated lives. And so we follow anything. Leadership is a big deal in high schools. There's about 1,400 Oklahoma high school scholarships for seniors just on leadership. We talk about leadership a lot. There's huge industries of leadership coaching, leadership consultants, life coaches, you name it, where people will try to hire out people to just come and help teach them, coach them, through this particular part of their life. What would it be like if we submitted ourselves to biblical leadership in a beautiful kind of way where these leaders were so frequently pointing us back to the gospel, were showing us the beauty of Jesus, were helping us understand what it was like for us to really live who we are as children, as sons and daughters of God? Then it might look like a father who just at the very edge of another argument over dinner with his family he stops himself before he goes into the same argument again with his wife and he realizes
1: I think I need counseling I think I really do need to let the gospel show me my sense of pride here or at work what about the
0: consultant who's on a team, and he comes to the conference room, and um, he's on a team, right? I mean, this is your situation for many of the guys, and they're fixing to do a contract against a company that he doesn't believe is, is good for the community. He doesn't believe is ethical, even. He doesn't believe this company is for the public good, and so he's on a team, so he says to his teammates around the conference table, here's the deal. I'm gonna this projects gonna make us millions of dollars but I'm gonna vote against it because I don't think this company is good for the community but because we're a team and I'm gonna vote against it if I'm outvoted I'm not gonna sabotage the project which is what usually happens isn't it I'm gonna work just as hard on this team for this company to help our company do the best job we possibly can but here's the deal I'm not going to take any of the prophets. Wouldn't that be amazing? If you were so convicted by the gospel that you actually made those kind of decisions at work, that's almost unheard of. Or what about the neighbor who sees the teenager in his, house, in his neighborhood who's a good kid, but his mother dies, and during his teenage years, he just gets lost. And so the neighbor organizes a weekly coffee for this teenager's dad, so that this dad can get the kind of support he needs In and around the neighborhood to help shepherd his kid well. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Or when you're with friends together and you're at the table and everybody's talking about all kinds of things, but you know there's one gorilla in the room, there's one elephant that has got to be addressed, and you take a big gulp and you are the one who has the courage to actually put that issue out on the table. Listen, I mention these kind of examples from work and home and the neighborhood because every one of us has a worldview that shapes our life. And if you let the gospel so pulsate through your veins, and it changes the way you begin to view your work, you're beginning to get it. If you just live the gospel on Sunday and you just live your life however you would normally on Monday, what? Why are you here? The gospel is so much bigger and more beautiful than that. And in scripture, God shows us a very very unique metaphor to explain to us what is it like to follow a leader. And in scripture, the two metaphors that God gives us for how to follow somebody who's going to lead us to think about the gospel and its application in the whole of our life. That's what elders and deacons are called to do. The two metaphors that God gives us are number 1 a servant which is the basis of the word diakonos, which means one who runs through the dust. Did you know that? Somebody who's eager to help, who gets his hands and face dirty for the sake of other people. The other metaphor, and the one that I'm going to spend a few minutes on this morning, is the word shepherd. Now the word shepherd, the metaphor shepherd doesn't knock our socks off because it seems like it's old and outdated. We think about you know, somebody who's got some kind of long on and a staff sitting on a hillside somewhere playing a harp but god gives us that biblical metaphor of shepherd because it over against every other pagan king was the way that he wanted to communicate to israel this is what my leaders are like They're not the gregarious, winsome, people-always-out-front leaders. They're not the tallest or the strongest. They are the shepherds of my people. The Shepherd comes from the Greek word episkopos, which just means a watchman. It means a leader of God's people. Ephesians 4.11, he says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of christ so i want to talk to you about a shepherd i want to tell you about the task of a shepherd the trouble with human shepherds amen and the true shepherd the task of shepherds the trouble with human shepherds and the true shepherd in scripture the task of shepherds the tat, listen, why should you listen to this? Don't tune me in. You should listen to this because God is showing us who we are to call to shepherd us as a church. And if you're going to think about elders and deacons, you have to begin first of all to look at the way God describes himself. And how does he describe himself in the Old Testament? When Jacob is praying for his sons, so he puts his hand on Joseph and he says, The God who has been my shepherd all of my life long to this day. And when David is trying to think, how do I describe the Lord? Ah, his most famous psalm ever. Maybe the most famous line in all of literature.
1: The Lord is my shepherd. And when the singer-songwriter Asaph was
0: trying to figure out how he should put to Music, uh, his psalm in Psalm 80, he says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. The relationship that God has with his people is an individual relationship. He is your shepherd. But God's relationship with his people is not just individualistic. It's not just personal. It's also corporate. And in fact, in the Old Testament, it is predominantly corporate. Psalm 95, we said it in our call to worship. Oh, come, let us kneel and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hands. When God was redeeming Israel, he described himself as a shepherd in Psalm 77, leading his people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Will read it just earlier in their worship. In Psalm seventy-eight, Asaph describes God. He says, "Then he led out his people like sheep, and he guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He laid them, he led them in safety, and they were not afraid." God Himself describes Himself as a shepherd, and then He calls people to be His under shepherds. And the two great examples. In the Old Testament of under shepherds are Moses and of David. I'm just going to briefly talk about them, talk about how they screwed up and how I do too and how your elders and deacons will too. And then we're going to think about what it means to be redeemed in light of the true shepherd himself. Moses and David were called by God to be his shepherds. Remember Moses was leading his flocks. He was a shepherd leading his flocks, right, on the hills of Midian And he gets called to Mount Hebron, and he sees this shiny bush, and he goes up to it in Exodus chapter 3, and he's like, what is going on? And the Lord says, out of the bush, out of the burning bush, Moses, I want you to tend my flock, my people, Israel, like a shepherd. I want you to take them out of captivity in Egypt, like a shepherd leads his flock out of danger. I want you to do this, Moses, because shepherds need to provide comprehensive care for their sheep. And then with David, right, what did God tell David? David was a shepherd. He was the youngest of Jesse's sons. And God says to David, hey, David, I want you to shepherd my people, Israel, and you will become my ruler, 2 Samuel chapter 5. I want you to shepherd them to guide them, to protect them, to know their names, to understand them. Why is it that we as a church plant are trying to partner with other churches to plant 10 churches in North Tulsa? We're the second of three, of four already in Tulsa.
1: Because we want the shepherds to know your name. We want to know your story, because we love you that
0: much. We think you're worth Being known and loved and cared for. And you're about to choose people to help know you, care for you, lead you, let you into the inner sanctum of your life. To guide you and to shepherd you. Moses was a shepherd of God's people. David was a shepherd, a good shepherd of God's people. And God called them because we need comprehensive care. It is not just enough to come to church on a Sunday morning and then leave. And as I said earlier, to live your life as though you would lead your life if you had never been a Christian before. We want to show you that there's a bigger picture, that you have a lens through which to view the world. And that lens is centered and rooted in God's good news of his love for his people. And it's not just that you need care for this season of your life. Being a shepherd is not like being a daddy. Kids, one of these days, your parents will not be able to claim you on their tax returns.
1: You will no longer be their dependents, but sheep always need a shepherd. You never outgrow church. And there are a lot of people in Owasso
0: who feel like they outgrow church because they've been burned by shepherds who weren't very good shepherds or by the sinfulness of their own sheepish hearts. And they feel like they've outgrown. You never outgrow shepherding. I never outgrow shepherding. I need it more now as a minister than I did when I was 17 walking with Jesus. Because I know the
1: depth of my heart better now than I ever have. And it scares me to death, actually. To all the leaders of Israel,
0: God said, Wherever I have moved with the Israelites... I said to any ruler, and I commanded them to shepherd my people, Israel. Every leader in Israel was
1: called to be a shepherd. That's how God himself describes his own nature. And when you
0: think about shepherds, it doesn't take us very long to realize that Shepherds have a very weighty responsibility. David and Moses weren't, that wasn't just a metaphor tossed out to them. They literally led people. They led real sheep. Remember the story where Moses is given a staff by God. He's given a shepherd's crook by God. And he says, Moses, with this staff, I want you to lead my people. And so he uses this staff and it becomes a snake in front of Pharaoh. Do you remember that? Kids, do you remember that? 10 plagues of Israel. Remember, he puts the staff in the Nile. And what happens to the Nile? It turns to blood. And do you remember where you know, the dust turns to gnats? And gnats consume Israel. And then the locusts. And then the hail. And then the Red Sea splits. And he puts a staff in it. The shepherd, Moses. And then after he clears the water, what happens? The water comes crashing back in on Pharaoh. Pharaoh. And then in Horeb, he strikes the rock with the staff that the Lord commanded him to strike. And water rushes from the rock. Listen, almost every page of the Old Testament is shot through with the shepherding metaphor. It's almost impossible to open your Bible and not read a metaphor about shepherding somewhere in there. Remember, he's, Israel's fighting the Amalekites. I know this goes way back to like third grade Sunday school. The Amalekites were bad dudes. Israel were the good dudes. And they're fighting the Amalekites. And every time Moses holds up his staff, the shepherd of God's people, they are wiping the Amalekites out. But as he gets tired, he begins to lower his arm. And the Lord says, don't do it. And he lowers the staff. And they just, the Amalekites get a second wind, and they dominate on the, the uh, uh, Israelites. And then Aaron and her help him hold up his arms. And they they win the battle. Shepherding metaphors all the way through. Here's the point. Moses and David are the prototypical shepherd prophet, the prototypical shepherd king. They point us to what it's like to have godly shepherds in our life. The Lord uses these two men to lead Israel out of captivity and to lead them into the promised
1: land and to rule and reign over them beautifully. But what happened? Even though Israel needed comprehensive care, there is a comprehensive problem.
0: And that these shepherds, just like me, and just like every man in this church that you're about to call or elect as an elder, they have a comprehensive issue, and it's called sin. Remember, God called Moses again to strike a rock another time. Actually, he told him to talk to the rock. Do you remember? He said, Moses, I want you to tell the rock to bring forth water. And Moses, because, in Numbers 20, it said, because he did not believe God was good. He struck the rock twice with his staff. And God was merciful and water flowed. But because Moses' fundamental problem, even though he had seen this amazing act of God taking them through the Red Sea, Moses really did not believe that God was all that he said he was cracked up to be. And he didn't believe him. And that manifested itself in insubordination. And so the consequence of that insubordination was that God said to Moses, Moses, you will not enter the land that I have promised to your people. You won't see it. And if you know the story, you know that Moses dies overlooking the land. He never never goes into the land of Canaan. And then David. Remember, oh, David? Remember, David was the one who said in Psalm 78, you know, he wants to shepherd them with integrity of heart and skillfulness of hands. Okay, well, where was his integrity when he, in his own pride and superiority, was looking at a girl bathing, and he goes and he calls for her, and he sleeps with her, and what was just, it was just pride, and he thought he was superior, became lust, and lust became adultery, and then adultery gave birth to what? To murder. It was so subtle. And yet Moses walked with god as a friend and yet david is called what a man after god's own heart listen the trouble with human shepherds is that they are human and they need a shepherd themselves do you know um you know that there's an old wyoming um, professor who retired and he retired and became a sheep herder a farmer And um, not far from the University of Wyoming. And he wrote an article one time that talked about the psychology of sheep. And here are some of the things he said. This This is what details sheep. Number one, you cannot make a sheep do anything that is contrary to its nature. You can't teach it new tricks. You can't try to change a sheep. It will not be a dog no matter how much you try. It is a sheep. They are not easily embarrassed or bashful. They'll do the same stupid thing again and again and again, and they will not seem to have any shame about it whatsoever.
1: Their most natural tendency is to flock with other sheep. They do not like to go alone. They are instinctively fearful creatures. They are always, always worried that they're in danger. Sheep,
0: they have hooves, and, you know, hooved animals can walk uphill easier than they can walk downhill. Sheep always like to find the high ground because they like to see, they like to have vision, right? Where there is no people, uh, where there's no vision, the people perish, Solomon said in Proverbs.
1: Sheep are very, very conservative. They're very resistant to change. And sheep,
0: um, well, they're not very smart. They've got great short-term memories, but they cannot think in complicated ways at all. You give a sheep one command, he'll obey it. You give him two commands, he's lost. And the last thing is when sheep, sheep need their, their, their shepherd, they welcome their shepherd only one time. It's only whenever they're in pain. Isn't that interesting? When sheep are in pain, they welcome their shepherd, but otherwise they want nothing to do with them. They want to follow the flock. But you know that when sheep get flipped up on their back... You know, that children, do you know that when sheep are upside down like a dog on his back, they cannot get up on their own? Isn't that funny? They have to have a shepherd come and help right them to pull them back. That's how ignorant my uh, own heart is. That's how ignorant I am. Even as your shepherd, I am not that smart. I am sheepish. I am, ba- I am not easily embarrassed. I have tendencies of sin that... I have been fighting for years, and I will probably take them to the grave with me, but dadgummit, I'm fighting them as hard as I can. In in Ezekiel chapter 34, there's a very, very famous chapter in the prophets where God goes after the shepherds of Israel. And he basically says in Ezekiel 34, there's three parts to the chapter, and he says the first part of the chapter is this, the shepherds have neglected the sheep of Israel. Do you know why? Because when the sheep are starving, the shepherds are feeding themselves. They're fattening themselves up. They're giving themselves all the benefits. They're not serving the sheep at all. And so God comes in and he says to these under shepherds, I will remove you and I will be their shepherd. I have always been their shepherd. And I will lead the people like a flock out of danger, the danger of your care. Listen, some of you come from churches where you've been badly abused by other ministers. You've been hurt by things people have said, people in leadership at other churches. And I just want you to know this. We are called as people that the Lord has called to be shepherds, to be under his rule and authority. And I know that it's tempting to say, well, shepherds are, you know, it's just a used car salesman on Sunday morning trying to sell us a bag of goods. Listen, if you think that you don't get the gospel— The gospel is not about changing your behavior. It's about changing your heart. And you cannot do that by willpower. And I cannot lead you. And the elders that you're going to elect in several weeks cannot lead you unless the power of the gospel guides and empowers them and leads you. John Stott once said, The very first thing which needs to be said about Christian ministers of all kinds is that they are under people. It's on the back of your bulletin. As their servants, rather than over them as their leaders, let alone their lords. Jesus made this absolutely plain. The chief characteristic of Christian leaders, he insisted, is humility, not
1: authority. It's gentleness, not power. At the end of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel
0: begins to hint that there is going to be a shepherd that is to come. There's going to be a shepherd, a true shepherd, better than Moses and better than David, who's not just the prototypical shepherd king. He's not just the prototypical shepherd prophet, but he is the true prophet. He is the true king. He is the true Lord. He is the true priest. He is the one that comes to give his life for you. Micah, at the very end of the Old Testament, said just that. In Micah 5.2, It said, it describes the one who will come, who will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord God. And then, in the very beginning of the New Testament, Matthew is saying, there is one coming. Remember, the Magi are going to see Jesus. And Matthew quotes this prophecy about Jesus. There is one coming, the shepherd of the sheep. He will be born the king of the Jews. And then when John sees Jesus, when he's baptizing by the Jordan, what does he say? He says, look, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. The only way your elders, your future elders, your men in this church who are going to be able to lead you well is if they understand that they are under shepherds, under the true shepherd himself, Jesus Christ. Who Jesus is not like the life coach you're going to hire down in Midtown Tulsa. He's not like the consultant. Those guys just tell you what to do. This book is not a used car manual. You don't just open it up for the right character to follow. It is not a how-to manual. It is a story of how God came to change your life. And God did not change your life in the way that most other, all other religions tell you that your life is changed by willpower, by moral exertion, by following the five tenets or whatever. When Jesus came as the true shepherd, what did he do? He led us into greener pastures. How? Not by just standing with his staff and looking over us, although he does protect us, but he protects us by giving his life for us. Christ, in John 10, became the good shepherd so that we who were lost, we all like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah 53 says, each to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus Christ became our true shepherd. He became for us the best news in the world that he lays his life down for his sheep. Here's a question. Do you know Jesus' voice? Children, do you know the voice of your Savior who loves you? Like, I'm not talking about do you know parts of the Bible. We want you to know the Bible very, very well. But do you know when God is calling you to trust him? Do you let him trust you when he wants to lead you somewhere where you do not know where it's going? When he goes the opposite direction, you think that you need to go. Do you trust him? That is one of my greatest, do I really believe that God is good? Do you? Friends, the only way that we can elect elders, that we can elect deacons, is if we recognize that in this metaphor of shepherding that God gives us in Scripture, human shepherds will let you down. But together, together, as they lean into the gospel themselves, and as they put their life under the under shepherd, they will be able to lead us the best way that God has given to lead His people, His new covenant community. God has called us to be a countercultural community for His glory. And when I use the word counter, I don't mean against. I mean different. I don't mean conservative. I don't mean liberal. I mean off the scale different. Where you sacrifice your life for people. You give of your time for them, of your resources, of your talents. And the only way that we can do that, the only way that I can do that, is if you continually come back to the gospel, which was shown to us in shadow form in the Old Testament, and comes into stark color. In high definition in the New Testament, when Jesus, the Lamb of God, the shepherd, becomes the sheep, and he gives himself for his people. Do you know him? Do you see how beautiful Jesus is? Do you see how much he loves you? Do you see that the only way that you can change is not by trying to change your behavior, but it's by going back to the fundamental core Of the gospel. Jesus' death for sinners like you and for me. And you don't just get to the gospel and move on to better things, better Bible. Listen, you go back to the gospel again and again and again and again. Because that's the power for change. It's about Christ and his righteousness which he gives you. Not that you try to attain and earn on your own. It's all by faith. Because of what Christ has done. Through his finished work on the cross. As the shepherd who became for us the lamb of God. Amen? So listen, here's what you do for the next three weeks. Would you pray that the Lord would show you who the shepherds amidst the flock are? Who is the Lord called, even in our small congregation, to lead our sheep? Would you pray for them? Would you pray for their families? The most neglected people in our church are arguably the wives of future elders and deacons. Would you pray for their wives? Would you pray for their families? And then would you ask yourself, is your shepherd calling you to areas of obedience that you just simply have not heard? You've busied yourself at work with the contracts. You've busied yourself with whatever it is. Would you ask the Lord to draw you into a closer proximity to your shepherd? Don't just need him when you're on all fours and you're at your fours, you know what I mean. When you're on your back. You don't just need him when you're in dire straits. You need him every single day. And that's how the gospel becomes beautiful. And you begin to do radical things like go to North Tulsa and try to revive North Tulsa. And go to Owasso and all the people who have spent more money on their homes than they really could afford and live without curtains on the windows. And their kids are latchkey kids, totally ignored throughout most of the week because mom and dad are working hard to make ends meet, to live this American dream. There is so much brokenness in our community, but we don't like to talk about it. But there is. Do you know your neighbors? Can you be the hands and feet of Christ? You're going to call shepherds in a couple of weeks, but God has also made you shepherds where you have areas of influence right now. Are you loving people, caring for them, protecting them, leading them with the knowledge of the gospel so that you might, like the examples I gave earlier, be able to make radical decisions that aren't in your financial benefit but are the right decisions to make? That you might, for the sake of a neighbor who has a child that's really struggling and in drugs during his teenage years, provide a way to help support him. That you might be honest with your heart and say, you know what, I probably do need to talk to somebody about um, my struggle with this or with that. There's maybe 2% of the church that doesn't need to be in full-time counseling. (laughs) Are you hearing your shepherd's voice? He loves you. Let's pray for our men. Let's pray for their families as we approach these next three weeks together. Let's pray. Father, you are the great shepherd of the sheep. And oh Lord, we pray that you will give us wisdom on who those men are within our congregation. We do not know. Lord, you call them. Yes, we elect them, but you are the one who draws them. So Lord, would you make that abundantly clear who those men are? And would you protect them? And would you help us to be faithful people and we can only do that when we recognize that we have a comprehensive problem our sin and it needs a comprehensive solution the death of your beloved son on our behalf thank you that jesus you became the lamb of god to take away the sins of the world thank you that in the gospel you renew us thank you that you're here with us even now in jesus name we pray amen